All right, welcome back to Problem Solver Politics. I am your host, Cardin Ellis, with Cody the Oracle. Hey, everybody. And today we're going to be talking about Bernie Sanders pulling a Donald Trump 2016 here in election season 2020, but unlike Donald Trump in 2016 doing it over the RNC, it looks like the DNC is trying to not let him. So the big question is, well, I mean, the fact is Bernie Sanders is statistically the front runner, the one that most people are voting for, and the person that is getting a plurality and not a majority. Just like Donald Trump in 2016 was getting a bunch of pluralities but not majorities, Bernie Sanders is steamrolling all, all, over all the other c candidates with plurality, pluralities, not majorities. But the difference is Donald Trump could do it according to RNC rules, but the DNC rules and these superdelegates allow for all kinds of other shenanigans, and those shenanigans have not been fixed, gone away, and are actually not required to be fulfilled according to uh, a Supreme Court ruling over the DNC. So we're going to kind of try and figure out if Bernie Sanders actually truly does have a path indeed to victory, Cody, tell us what's going on. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I guess uh, we'll start off here. So this is an article you pointed out today. I thought it was a pretty funny, it was a pretty funny article. There's a lot of great kind of parallels in here. So anyway, it's from New York Times, and it says, The 2020 Democratic primary is giving some Republicans deja vu. A deja vu, <laughs> deja vu. A large, diffuse, and unyielding. By the, field. can we just can we just give props to whoever wrote this because trying to get the e with an accent over it and then the a with the accent backwards while typing is pretty tough. It's like control symbol. Like there's about eight keystrokes are, are required to do that. So I just I give credit to the uh, typist. Oh, I. Oof. For those of us that no know offense, how to type in no, other no languages, no offense, man. There's. Like 50,000 easier ways of doing it than that, and they probably do that. <laughs> okay. um, but anyway, uh, I want to get into this because they talk about a few things here that are pretty funny because they bring us something that is true. We notice, if you look at the Nevada results, that's a really good way of looking at it. Bernie Sanders got roughly the same votes in Nevada. I mean, it's obviously not the same one, one for one, but yeah. he got like 46, 47% of the, of the total state yeah. delegates in Nevada in 2016. Did it again in 2020. The only difference was Hillary Clinton was running in 2016. In 2020, we have Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren, Tom. St like, they just took all the votes away. So what's funny is a lot of people, and there's some great stories in here. One of my favorites, I want to get down to it, um, where they get to the point where, um, well, this is first of all, I want to read this quote. This is a great quote from a Rick Tyler. He's a former senior strategist for Mr. Cruz, but. He says, I don't care. Pick any of them. Biden, Klobuchar, Buttigieg, or even Warren. Consolidate the vote and you'll beat Bernie 60-40. Yeah. But they're not going to do it because the parties are so pathetic and inept and weak. We we say we love primaries because they're inclusive. Well, this is what happens. <laughs> Clearly, the wounds from 2016 hasn't healed for some of the people in the Cruz and, uh, the Cruz and I would imagine, Rubio camps. But they go on and they talk about how that was a problem where multiple times they kind of came to each other back in 2016. And there's this idea of like... Ted Cruz wanted Rubio to drop out. Rubio wants Cruz to drop out. They both knew if they did, they could probably beat Trump together. But no one ever Neither wants one of them to, had the pride no one to do it. Trump out. Yeah, well, I said this well, on my radio Just program. one second with this. Oh, yeah. They go, as Mr. Trump continued to plow through states, Mr. Cruz, Mr. Kasich, Mr. Bush, and Mr. Rubio, all scrapped for seconds, thirds, and fourths, splitting up the more traditional Republican vote and aiding Mr. Trump in his rise. Sorry, that was... I just well, want to say that back that then, the establishment balked and whined and complained about the immorality of his platform, the immorality of his person. I mean, 
The RNC and the traditional Republican establishment complained about Donald Trump in 2016 just as badly as the DNC and the traditional Democrat establishment is complaining about um, uh, Bernie Sanders here in 2020. But back in 2016, I said, guys, okay, Kasich, you're cool. I like you. You know what I'm saying? Uh, why don't you just have a sit down with, you know, Senator Rubio and Senator Cruz and and and, and top to bottom, every last one of them, if they would have combined source, uh, 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 if they would have just I actually think if they would have uh, combined energy and become one candidate who promised cabinet appointments to all of them, they actually would have been beating Donald Trump by more than the, just their cumulative numbers because there would have been a synergy where now all of a sudden Donald Trump isn't perceived as the strong man in the room. You know what I'm saying? So I think they would have actually even beaten him much worse than than the numbers even indicate. But I lost a lot of respect for those candidates because I'm like, dude, Marco Rubio, sit down with Ted Cruz. He's, he's getting higher numbers than you. You become his second man, and then you're the first one that gets to run right. after him. You know, but n n all of them had such pride and narcissism that they couldn't get out of the way. So guess what? Donald Trump won. You cannot complain as establishment person about morality and this and that when you're too prideful to get out of the way. DNC is doing the yeah. exact same thing. The only problem is with the DNC, the super delegates can screw up. Well, yeah. Well, just to your point, this was the story I wanted to highlight. This was this was hilarious to me. I think we've seen this kind of happen already in 2020. So they go to mention that conservatives had urged Mr. Rubio and Mr. Cruz to form a joint ticket, though neither wanted to play second fiddle. To your point, to the other as the vice presidential pick. However, this is a, I love this little anecdote. But then Mr. Cruz announced shortly before dropping out that if he were nominated, he would choose as his running mate Carly Fiorina, the former Hewlett Packard ex chief executive who had all also sought the nomination. The two then traveled the country together as a team. But the combination of inertia and ego inside presidential campaigns usually stops these kind of arrangements. Quote, in order to have an impact with your endorsement, you have to have support. And if you still have support, why are you dropping out? I want to hear what was going yeah. on behind the scenes of the Carly Fiorina, Ted Cruz, disastrous few weeks of campaigning before Ted Cruz finally dropped out of the election. But yeah, the, you have to well, imagine. Well, he was close. He was within there. seven points in some of these there, weeks. But just the yeah. egos of, wait a minute. If I'm helping you by being your VP, then why aren't you helping me? If I have support still, why would I drop out? And we have seen that, I think, this big time with imagine if Klobuchar and Biden and if, if they really wanted Buttigieg to win. And uh, just I want to get on to what you brought up, but they go on to also mention the article, the idea of a lot of them say if we had to do this all over again, we would win in 20. But hey, they can't do it over again now. This is what you brought up is where things change big time. So also in the New York Times, an article came out today talking about what's going on right now because uh, we've talked about this before, so I'll just kind of really quickly recap over it. Um, the Democratic National Committee, when they do their big the big convention, I, I was trying to think of a better word for it, but convention works. When they pick their, nominate, their nominee for the year, um, normally... Well, I guess normally it's every four years. Last year was a train wreck. This one's not looking much better. And look, what looks like it's going to happen is when we get to that point of the year, they will not have anybody with enough delegates to actually be the nominee. So what happens then is they'd have to have a second vote to decide, almost similar to the caucus breakdown, where if you after that first alignment, they have to have a second vote to figure out, okay, who actually we're putting our support behind to win. Now, the Democrats have superdelegates. Now, so do the Republicans, but it works differently. So Donald Trump, when he just won his 30 and 40 percent in all these states, he was able to walk in. But with Bernie Sanders, they are already openly discussing, OK, how are we going to use superdelegates to flip this? Now, this is what 
This is truly awful, though. So the article came out where they, I think New York Times spoke with, I forgot how many, but about several dozen delegates and asked them if they would support Bernie Sanders if he won the plurality yeah. or would they insist on a majority. But listen to some of the names that got floated around instead. Some yeah. of the stuff is ridiculous. So according to a person familiar with the private conversation, Mr. Schumer told people he had so far stayed out of the primary because many members of his caucus were running. He argued there was one school of thought that he needed to win the base and one that he needed to bring new voters in, which is what's going on in the party, and said that he did not know yet which candidates would be able to accomplish those goals. However, people are floating some names. A number of superdelegates dream of a savior candidate who is not now in the race. A perhaps, savior candidate. Perhaps, Sher- I'm assuming Sherrod Brown is the Mr. Brown they're referring to. Yeah. Or maybe someone who already dropped out of the race, like Senator Kamala Harris of California. It gets even better. Don Byer of Virginia, or Bayer of Virginia, cast an even wider net suggesting senators from Virginia and Delaware, along with Mrs. Pelosi. At some point, you can imagine saying, let's go get Mark Warner, Chris Coons, and Nancy. Nancy Pelosi. Could you imagine running Nancy Pelosi as president? I'm sorry, not even really running her in the primary, just giving her the superdelegate count and having her walk in. It's like, could you imagine if they did that? Uh, dude. Um, could I imagine it? The film producer side of me can imagine it, bro. Dude, <laughs> that, that. What, how was Nancy Pelosi more popular than anyone running? But here's what's funny, too. I have it on the screen. They tried. They tried in 2016, the Republicans. They, they tried, tried with McMullen, they remember? Wanted, they wanted to get rid of Trump. So listen to this. This is an article from PBS that was interesting from 2016. Okay. It says, does the Republican yeah. Party have superdelegates? Basically, they do, but they make up a much smaller percentage. It's much harder for them to tip the election either way. And by and large, they aren't autonomous. They pretty much have to vote in line. Yeah, yeah. With culturally, the expectation is that you'll vote with the voice of your people. Um, I, I mean, once again, this is just my uh, anecdotal lived experience, whatever you want to call it, of uh, having been in Republican politics in California. That pretty much everybody knows who everybody's voting for, and and if you're too far out of line of what the general heartbeat of your people is, then you'll kind of be rejected. And it's also a little bit of an honorary position. Like a lot of these delegate positions are kind of like we tip your hat to service to the party. You've been working hard. Here's a title. You still kind of have to do what you tell it, you know, what the people say, but you know, you get super in front of your name. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so the kind of corruption that exists in the DNC uh, with super delegates, basically just doing the bidding of Tom Perez or the bidding of Debbie Wasserman well, Schultz slash Clinton doesn't exist well, actually, in the Republican. In 2016, party. they actually had to change the rules. So in 2012, it was like that. In 2016, they changed the rules. So it mandated all superdelegates have to vote for the candidate who won their state in the primary. So it was even more honorary. Okay, unless it was, it's a brokered convention. It was, it was title only. No, but I'm saying- the, They the reason, still have the, the power to The reason why I it. brought this up was because the Republicans had people fighting to change this rule so they could try to take it away from Trump, and it failed. But there was Republicans trying to get rid of this. So there is this, and I, I think it's interesting because it's an interesting conversation about superdelegates and why they exist. There is, the more I've thought about this, there is something to a party saying, look, just because nine people ran for president and 35% was the biggest number, it doesn't mean you're popular enough to be our nominee for president. And I think that's not the, it isn't the craziest argument. Now, you want to hear some crazy arguments for superdelegates? We'll get into some crazy arguments for superdelegates. They are made by our friends, or my friend, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and more people over at the Democratic National Committee. This was some... There's some great stuff here. I want to get this 
set up so you can read it easily. But this is an article written by The Observer, which um, by the hey, you know what? Funny little funny little anecdote about The Observer. The Observer actually, I believe, was owned by Jared Kushner, who was the uh, son-in-law of Donald Trump. He's now he has some crazy position, whatever he's up to. But even Jared Kushner. When he was going into office, he gave up every like he put some ownership stuff on a trust and gave up all editorial control yeah. to his brother. Mike freaking Bloomberg just told his reporters, "Hey, try not to write about me. And yeah. If you do, put it. Th- it's crazy. Even Jared Kushner. If you do, can I, you put an asterisk yeah, exactly. in your name? <laughs> I would. I trust Jared Kushner less than I could throw him. Right? Like I, this uh, guy is. I would put nothing past him. Even he was like, you know what? Uh, My <laughs> much smaller, less influential publication. I would like to move over just so there isn't that you know air." of I'm a corrupt person using a paper to get my yeah. political ideology. Yeah, well, exactly. Mike Bloomberg couldn't even do that. He anyway. doesn't even care. Bloomberg doesn't even yeah, care. Anyway. My, my, my blatant he Bloomberg has what aside. Dave Chappelle calls F.U. money. Hey, hey, you're using your newspaper and your worldwide media empire in order to further your presidential candidacy. Yeah, F.U. I got money to pull it off. But, He's got beyond F.U. Hey, money. Speaking of, speaking <laughs> of just in general that attitude. So, so anyway, the reason why I brought that up, I wanted to get this article. Fascinating article. Every whenever I have a chance to show this, I'd like to. So DNC lawyer, DNC lawyers, lawyers. Holy cow! I couldn't say that word. Argue no liability. Neutrality is quote merely a political promise. Some of the stuff yeah. they argued in the courtroom was ridiculous. I, I love how the judges, though, multiple times were saying, like, I'm sorry, you don't get to say that maintaining a fair and balanced Democratic primary is just a political promise. Basically, what they were arguing in court, which is, here, here's a nice, nice summary of what they had in the clip above. The DNC lawyer's argument here is that the charters demand that the chair and DNC staff remain neutral throughout the primary is a political promise similar to policy proposals made in campaign platforms that aren't fulfilled when in office. The lawyers start in, cite an argument made in another court case stating that voters are free to vote out politicians. That That is one of the... Well, if you don't like Hillary Clinton, vote her out. Guess what? They yeah. did. She didn't win. Like, I mean, I guess in a way that they're kind of arguing, look, hey, if we want to run Hillary against the will of the people and lose, that's the right of our party was basically the argument they made, which I, mean, I guess kind of makes sense a little it, bit. It is <laughs> it is your right to intentionally lose it. It just it's the, like if I'm an author and I want to really write a really bad book that nobody reads. I have the right to do that. Okay, here's the question then, though. Would your publisher then have the right to come back to you and say, excuse me, I paid you not for an intentionally bad book? No one read. Point being, yeah. it's one thing if they're literally a private social club. And they say, yeah. hey, it's one thing if, what was it, what was it uh, Kramer when he was running for, what is it, the Del Boca Vista, uh, what is it, condo board or whatever? Yeah. It's one thing if you rig those elections. The only difference here is people donated money to the to the... the to Hillary Clinton by giving it to Bernie Sanders, not even knowing, right? Like, there's other people involved here were who were, in other words, by the own definition of the Democratic Party, are defrauded basically uh, by being led to believe they are donating to a fair promise, not realizing. Now, again, the thing is that they can make the same argument. Well, what is a politician defrauding you? For example, if Bernie Sanders gets elected and he's not able to get get rid of college debt, it just never gets passed, and Medicare for all is heavily compromised, did he defraud voters? I think that's that's the argument they make. Would it be defrauding people to just simply not be able to develop deliver what you promised? And I don't know. Now, if you intentionally set out to not deliver the thing, I would say yeah. that yes. 
and that is what they did. Uh, but some of the stuff in here is ridiculous. Uh, the DNC may, within its First Amendment rights, choose to amend its rules to eliminate the provision upon which the plaintiff's theory relies. Out of the DNC lawyers, arguing that because the DNC can amend its rules so its chair and staff don't have to remain neutral or impartial in Democratic presidential primaries, the court cannot render a ruling on the rule. That is such a funny... Well, and we've seen that. because yeah, We can just change the rules. Why would you enforce them? Well, because we've already seen this. Remember Tom Perez supposedly changed the rules to allow Mike Bloomberg yeah, he did. Yeah, he did to that. not have to get to the donor threshold that Tom Steyer dumped tens of millions of dollars into to get on the first debate stages. Tom Perez didn't even consult the Rules and Bylaws Committee. It's not called the Rules and Bylaws. It's called the Rules and... Not rules and regulations whatever, committee, though. but the whatever the committee is in the DNC, he didn't even he, he, he didn't even consult with them and just changes the rules so his pal can come on in and and basically just gentrify the DNC and have a hostile takeover of the Democrat yeah. Party. Hey, what we were just talking about though, uh -huh. remember that article I was pulling from where they were talking about running Nancy Pelosi as president? Oh yeah, I was. Just keep in mind everything we talked about was what the DNC had argued and all that. Well, check out this headline right here. The Democratic leaders willing to risk party damage to stop Bernie Sanders. They've argued Jeez. in it. But the thing is, they have literally gone to a, they've had lawyers argue in a court of law this is their right. It is our right to intentionally damage our party if it's our will. And if they've already made this case in court. Now, I do believe they were in some parts laughed out, but in other parts, some of those arguments, man, that was my favorite one. You can't and you can't hold us accountable to claiming that our chair was uh, impartial because if we want to, we can just change the rules and say yeah. they don't have to be impartial. So really, it's not actually a rule in the first place because it's really just enforced at discretion. I mean, that is the that's what he's going up against. And I think it's really funny just going back to where, how we started this, right, where. There is a lot of parallels to Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, you know, Trump from 16, Bernie in 20, as, as kind of hijacking a party and taking over from the outside. Yeah. The only problem is the DNC has so many of these stopgaps in place. I mean, Republicans were scrambling to use superdelegates to, to, to screw over Trump, and they just couldn't do it. It wasn't in the infrastructure. Well, Democrats, man, they have fought tooth and nail, and now they're setting up to do it again. All they have to do is get to that convention with things murky. Just no one with a clear majority, which, by the way, hasn't happened since John Kerry. Like Barack Obama wasn't walking in with clear majorities and these things all the time. They have to do that, and then they have to find a way to just get the superdelegates to vote who they want. Now, I hope we don't run into an issue where people are actually arguing, no, it should be Kamala Harris, no, it should be Nancy Pelosi, and then they can't make a decision there. But it's probably going to be, and if you had to guess, if you had to guess, Cardin, who do you think right now is angling to be that guy? Because somebody's gonna, somebody's probably going to have the, the just the thumb come down on the scale with the superdelegates and give it to them. Who do you think is angling and prepping and making calls and getting ready? My man, ba, 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 ba. Mike Bloomberg. He is quietly behind the scenes for a few weeks now, been reaching out to delegates and saying, "Hey, I, just saying, if we get to the part where we need your input, he's like the super wealthy McMullen of uh, 2020." You don't remember it, but there was actually, uh, he, oh, he, 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 he denied being, you know, uh, Mitt Romney anti-Trumper. But uh, the state of Utah put up a McMullen that uh, was an ex-CIA operative who actually seemed like a pretty cool guy and was, ironically enough, a cousin of a friend of, uh, uh, of mine as well. And 
they were this close, according to some polls, to getting a brokered convention in which I believe Paul Ryan was the one that was going to have to choose uh, uh, who, you know, Isn't who that the a crazy defeatist mentality. How do we how do we find a way to screw over the winner and win? It's like so you're focusing on losing. It's just like what? And speaking of, that's basically Bloomberg's plot here. He's, Bloomberg's going yeah. around and telling people, hey. I'm all in on the second ballot. Are you all in with me? It's like, what is... Listen to this quote. There's a whole operation going on, which is genius, said one of the strategists, and it's going to help them win on the second ballot. They're telling them that's their strategy. It's a presumptuous play for a candidate who is who is, hasn't yet won a delegate or even appeared on a ballot. Yeah, true, right? But yeah, same thing you notice. They're, they're, they're getting ready, man. They're already focusing. What do we do when we get to that second ballot? How do we win it? That's already the talk from Bloomberg and his staff. Yeah. So basically, um, in 2016, the hope was to get a, a, a brokered convention in which then all of a sudden the party bosses through a process of delegates redelegating, revoting, and basically just this horse trading nonsense uh, that the anti-Trumpism would uh, give a chance for them to choose the better candidate, McMullen. Right. And, and that was this brief hope that lasted like six weeks until um, I think they sent in Mike Pence. Uh, to uh, Utah to convince the conservatives that hey no Trump isn't you know isn't just a wolf in sheep's clothing and, and and Pence's plea to the conservatives in Utah worked so the McMullen thing just never went anywhere but it was this kind of funny six weeks where for the first time people even were uttering the words brokered convention meanwhile like that just seems to be the plan right out of the bat <laughs> with Bloomberg from the beginning that if I can have a Super Tuesday performance. That is uh, spectacular enough. There's a chance that um, either through a brokered convention, my purchased loyalties with the DNC are going to basically make me the uh, nominee or who knows, maybe I can just actually TV commercial and ad spend my way into the nomination. We're going to see if either one of those plans work, but um, you're right. It's, it's this weird fantasy that seems to never play out. Um, this idea that we'll be saved from the worst of our party, um, through some brokered convention, uh, justice, shall we say that has really never actually happened in my adult lifetime. Have you ever lived through a brokered convention? I can't think of one. Well, like, there's been, I think LBJ was going to be a brokered well, no, convention. Was, had he, no, I believe correct me if I'm wrong. There's been multiple times. Just generally speaking, it's like. Yeah. You don't have that technical. Like I, I don't remember a crazy chaotic one except for Bernie Sanders. Hillary was pretty bad. I'm just saying. When was the last brokered convention? I just googled it right I think, now. I think the 1952 Democratic primary between Adlai Stevenson yeah, and well, Dwight Eisenhower. I think a lot of them though. They, they, there's been a couple where they get to that point and it's pretty. And they just kind of okay. Know, then they they just decide the superdelegates will go behind too. But. Dude, last year was really bad. When Hillary Clinton was given the nominee of Bernie Sanders, people didn't just go, oh, shucks, I'll go home. Like, yeah. it was a madhouse, and I'm expecting it to be worse this time because they're they are openly talking about how they're going to do it this time. They're writing articles saying this is exactly how we're going to— On the debate stage, it was like a mafia thing where they had burned— It was not last debate, the one before. Well, it was Chuck Todd. What a—I what a, remember watching this like, this is 
almost disgusting to watch, but right at the end of the debate where he goes, all right, everyone, so we have time for one last question, and we'll get to you last, Mr. Sanders. Yeah. I think when he said that, I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to ask them if they're going to. He's like, yeah, would you support the, the Democratic process playing out if there's a no no one with the majority of votes but only the plurality? And it, one by one, every candidate, yeah. I would I would support the, the party. I would support the party. I would support it. And then it's almost like a joke. Like, well, Mr. Sanders, what about you? And he's like, I would not. I, I think whoever has. But it's like they really did just kind of tell him, look, man, we're going to do it to you. If you do not make if if we just yeah. get to the convention and we stop you enough, it's going to happen. And these, they've shown him the whip, and they've told him it's coming. So we'll see what happens. I, I don't think he has what it they takes. They showed him the whip, and they told him it's coming. Well, yeah, I mean, like this is there. I guess you know, like like <laughs> they've kind of here's the whip, here's the whip. It is coming. Yeah, I was kind of using more of like it was. I was thinking more of like the horse racing. But you get what I mean. Like it's yeah. kind of like look, man. Like you and it's, I honestly do think that the reason why I brought up that analogy though. As like I said, kind of more than like, seems like a horse race. I think that's kind of what they want to do as well, though. They also kind of want to say, look, Sanders, you said you're going to mobilize this army of new voters. We'll do it. If you don't, we're replacing you. But if you do it and you get 65% of the vote and you take over the party, so be it. That's what the rules say. But like, that's kind of the point I want to make here. That's kind of what it feels like. They're going to steal it from if they can. But I think they're all saying, and again, the reason why I bring that up is Adam Schiff said this when he was asked. People have said, why is Adam Schiff not came in and said more? And he says right here, I've said it before, but I'll bring it up again. He argues that there's this one school of thought that you needed to win the base and one you needed to bring new voters in. Well, how do you play both sides? You say, fine, Bernie, bring your new voters in. If you don't, we're going to go with who wins the party. Yeah. It's that simple. And I that that's what I mean. I think that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to show him. They're trying to tell him. We're, look, it's coming. There's nothing you can do to stop it except prove us wrong. Prove yeah. us that you do have this new army. The bad news is it doesn't look like it's coming. It looks like he would, if he were to win the nominee, it'd be like Trump in 16, where he, and Trump had some pretty big victories. I was showing before, Trump won California, it's like 80% of the vote. But still, like, along the lines is it's close, and if there was, I, I wonder if, you mentioned it was pretty close, I wonder if they had that extra, you know, bit of super delegate weight if they would have tried to tip the scales against them because Bernie it's really easy he has to get I forgot the exact number but it's it's up in the air actually I'll see if I can pull it up I think 538 yeah. right now is their projection at like 50-50 between Bernie or nobody gets the nomination at the first vote in the convention like it's really? right there and it's it really is the tipping point for him now I do I don't want to give the DNC credit because I think they're being cowards by doing this However, in their cowardice, they have put themselves in a position where, like I said, if if, if Bernie's if, if it does work, right, and if it, if it does kind of, you know, show him the whip gets Bernie Sanders to go a bit faster and prove, I do have this base. Trust me, they're coming. It's not just what I had in 16 and no one's running against me. I'm motivating new voters. Yeah. If he doesn't, man, it looks like they'll let him have it, but I don't see that happening. And they are absolutely, they cannot wait to float around ideas like making Nancy Pelosi the nominee. They cannot wait to have a chance to make basically whoever they want the nominee. And they're talking about it. That's what worries about me. They're, they're not talking about it like, okay, if we need to use our superdelegates to tip the scale five or six points ahead for, you know, Buttigieg, that's one thing. They're openly talking about nominating people who haven't even campaigned for president. That That's... So then, trust me, I hate these people as well. I'm just saying there is some strategy to the blatant cowardice of telling Bernie you're going to steal the nominee, but waiting until you have to to do it. Yeah. It's almost like you don't believe in yourself or your platform 
And it's just about power. No, it just it just cowardly. <laughs> they don't believe in anything. They're just like, whatever the results show, we'll, we'll go with. We don't care. So here's my question. I, if if the DNC railroads Bernie a second time, who is going to stop the rioters and the Antifa people from just starting the revolution on their own, man? Well, here's the thing. I mean, at that point, really, the, the, the rally call is going to be, we tried working within the system and they screwed us twice. It's open source documented. Everybody knows it. By any means necessary. By any means necessary. Because no, if Bernie Sanders uh, I were mean, to draw that coalition out, I think he would win the nominee. Like, I think the fact that Bernie's put into a spot where they can just give the nominee to someone else to the convention would tell me he hasn't motivated that revolution anyway. Why didn't they come out and vote? None of them came out to vote for him? He couldn't win the primary? That's what I mean. Like, I don't think there's that Oof. many people. That would come out and riot. So you don't be, think there would be political violence if he was screwed out of nomination a second time? There, I, I d- easily be, things would be burning. There would be a mess at the convention, yes, but not, not like across the country. No, I oh, easily would surpass would the damage be, of the L.A. riots. Oh my God, no! It would, easily, it would be no worse than when the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. It'd be no worse than that. Yeah, <laughs> I swear, it would be no worse. Oh my God! Was it? I think it was when the uh, was Vancouver. I think was it Vancouver team won the Stanley Cup. Uh-huh. I forgot who it was the Canucks, and they, they everyone came out and burned everything and, and threw trash. And a couple of days later, they came like it'll be. I guess like that. The night it happens, where it happens, there will be something. But no, nah, man, there's not going to be riots across the country because Bernie Sanders lost again. Sorry, because again, if Bernie Sanders, that would mean Bernie Sanders didn't get the majority of Democrats who show up to primaries. Okay. That's not a big number of people, and he couldn't get the majority of them. So it, it, just by the fact that they were able to distribute the delegates to someone else would tell me that he doesn't have that army out there. Why? No, it, he didn't have the support. If he had that much support and then they did it to him, that'd be one thing. But So um, it's kind of funny. So the Philadelphia Eagles are our Whistler Krakow, apparently, um, or our, I believe it's Libertad in Argentina. The uh, the most dangerous fan bases, <laughs> like whenever they get like really excited because they won, or really angry because they lost, there will be damage. Philly fans, Philly fans you know? famously booed Santa Claus. What? How do you boo Santa Claus? Look it up. Wait, did some football player put on Santa Claus? No, they had a Santa Claus who would come entertain fans in the Christmas Day games or around it, right? And he got booed. He wasn't good enough. He was a bad Santa, and they booed him. <laughs> oh, brutal. The Philadelphia fans have done some pretty bad stuff. Pretty sure they've cheered when guys tore their ACLs. Well, Bill Burr uh, Bill Burr had his big showdown at a show in Philly. Uh, the Philly sports fans are an interesting crowd. Yeah, they? when he did a stand-up show in Philly, uh, apparently it got super combative, and he just started roasting and ripping on the entire audience. And it's like considered one of his craziest performances ever. You can look up uh, Bill Burr Philadelphia roast, and it, uh, it it's pretty interesting. So, um, okay, cool. Well, at, at the end of the day, I got to tell you, man, the DNC staring down a barrel of two huge realities. The reality that if they don't let the system operate and let Bernie Sanders basically win the nomination, they're going to have to screw him by any means necessary, which means soft corrupt and or just plain old well, corrupt but it's it, it's the way the rules are set up now they, uh, okay. they literally can just say we're letting things play out okay. as they're scheduled you didn't win okay the look, majority. So, so so no no I, i'm saying they're either gonna have to let him win because he's gonna win and he's pulling the numbers okay 
and then have just a permanent rift in the party between progressives and Democrats and have a nominee that has only 40% of the support at best and then gets absolutely 110% trounced in the general election. So they either take the high road and get trounced or they take the low road, do what the DNC does. Player's going to play, hater's going to hate, DNC going to cheat. Okay. And they use their super delegates or they use their backdoor deals with Mike Bloomberg or they do whatever. And then they get a candidate that may not get beaten so bad. And then there's an even deeper insane rift between the progressives and the standard Democrat party. And I got to tell you, I don't know. The Democrat party is not going to go away. It's not going to be the end of the Democrat party. Anybody that tells you that. Um, is lying because <laughs> who are all the Republican haters going to vote for? Like, I mean, let's get real. So, um, but at the same time, I could see it severely weakening them for a solid two or three election cycles. Long enough that Donald Trump could win his second term easily. And we might have the very rare uh, same party president um, like George H.W. Bush was. After two successful terms of Ronald Reagan, America voted instead of switching parties and voting back for a Democrat, which is usually what happens. Usually a Democrat replaces a Republican, a Republican replaces the Democrat, and it's kind of like this tennis game that we play between the two parties in modern politics. We might see such a severely damaged Democrat party that we get three terms of Republicans. 